I'm going to start this week's sermon with last week's application because we kind of left you with, we leave you with an application every week, head, heart, and hands. And so, if, you know, the word says if you hear the word and don't apply it, it's like somebody looks in the mirror, you see something's wrong, and you don't make any adjustments. We wouldn't do that. And so we shouldn't do that with scripture. So I encourage you to write down or go back to the app and look back at the application points as you're doing your quiet time, think through those. But last week, I left you with the idea of pay attention to that unending conversation that's going on in your head, right? Especially when you're not busy doing other things, there's a conversation that's happening. Or when you get into a, a situation where things aren't going perfect for you, things are not easy, and then what are, you, what are you telling yourself in those moments? And we said, instead of just complaining and griping or feeling sorry for yourself, begin to preach the gospel to yourself. Begin to let the gospel just soak in and permeate into your brain. And you can make that decision. Now, I'll be honest, there were times this week when things happened that I chose not to make that decision. And I bet you did as well. But we can get more and more consistent with that, with God's power as we're in the word each and every day. We're asking the Holy Spirit just to be alive in our lives. And then he gives us the strength to allow that to happen. So that's truly letting the word of Christ fill you up, Colossians 3. 16, letting Christ's word, the gospel, fill you up. And so I encourage you to do that. We're going to be back in the gospel of John today, chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 29 if you want to turn there. Also, we have an app if you want to download that app, and be, the scriptures are all there in the sermon notes that you can follow along as well. Today, we're going to look at the controversy over the Son of God. This is part one of two, the controversy over the Son of God. So let's pray before we look at John chapter 10. And just ask the Holy Spirit. And while I pray, I hope you'll pray as well. Ask the Holy Spirit to make his word alive in your life. Father God, I thank you for your truth that you've given to us. In a world that cries out for our attention, for our affections. God, that around every corner there's something that draws us in or attempts to draw us in and distract us from you. And God, uh, some of the things that maybe some people were distracted with this week were just uh, massive uh, temptations, and for others, it could be just small distractions. But God, either way, you're not lifted up and glorified in our life, and I pray that you allow our lives to be more and more centered upon Jesus Christ, and may our time in your word today uh, help make us take one more step forward toward that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Back when I was a youth pastor, we did little games. We did games all the time, but games, one game we did uh, often was stand up if, all right? So you've probably played this before. You know, stand up, you know, if you did not brush your teeth last night. Don't stand up, please, okay, if you didn't brush your teeth. But believe it or not, students would stand up, right? You got the middle schoolers proud of that. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't brush my teeth last night. I didn't brush my teeth for a week, right? And, and so you have that. You have people who are like, you know, st- stand up if you've ever ridden a camel, all right, and you always had one kid lied to do that, but, you know, you'd ask these series of questions, and you were either up or you were down, all right? There was no middle ground, maybe partially, I know. It was, did I do it or did I not do it? It was, uh, am I in or am I out? And as we move to these final two sections of John chapter 10, the fundamental issue of the relationship between God the Father and Jesus is coming clear to the Jews. He's, Jesus is just laying this out there. And there's no longer any room for indecision. It's you're either up, you're in, or you're out. You're either in or you're out. Jesus, you have to decide whether he is legitimately who he says he is or he's a blasphemer. He's declaring he's 
God, and he's not, and so he deserves to be de- to die because that's what the law calls for. It calls for death for someone who is a blasphemer. So are you in or out? And not just for the audience that was listening to Jesus during this time period, but also for the readers to follow. John wrote this gospel, and his purpose, and you see it every week on the screen, is to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. He didn't hide the fact that that's his goal when he was writing this book. This gospel was to convince people through what he encountered, what he experienced, what he's historically recording, that, that, that Jesus truly was who he claimed to be. And so the, point, the reader at these points, as he's reading this for the first time, and as the church is hearing this for the first time, there needs to be a point of decision made. Is Jesus really who he said he was or not? Do you receive him or reject him, up or down, in or out? So as we read this passage and also for next week, have that going on in your mind, what's going on here in the context. So verse 19, there was again a great division among the Jews because of these words. What words? The words we looked at the last week or so where Jesus gave this illustration, he gave this metaphor of the good shepherd, and he begins to explain that, and then he ends this with this charge I have received from my father. All right. So when he's using these words like my father, his heavenly father, they understand what he's doing. They understand that he's pointing to God and saying that God is his father. And so this point of decision is coming strong. And the crowd we see in verse 20 and 21, they're very divided. Verse 20, many of them said, he has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? Whereas others were saying, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so remember, all of this was a result, this conversation, this metaphor, this picture that Jesus painted here with the good shepherd, all was a result of what happened back in chapter 9, where Jesus healed the man who was born blind. And the Pharisees were super upset by that because Jesus did it on the Sabbath day, all right, technicality, right? He, he did this miracle on the Sabbath. And, but they get so mad, and they call the guy back after he's been, his sight's been restored, and they tell him because he's defending Jesus and knows that Jesus had the power to do this, and Jesus looks like he may be the Messiah, the one who came, and so they just boot him out of the synagogue. They excommunicate him because of this, and so when Jesus hears that the man who he healed had been excommunicated from the synagogue, what did Jesus do next? This is big. This is significant. Jesus goes and searches for the man, all right? He doesn't say, oh, he'll find me because I'm so famous. He's bound to know where I'm at in the city. No, Jesus says, hey, guys, let's go, and brings his disciples, and they go, and they begin looking for this man, and they find this man because it's in the character of God, as Jeremy pointed out, as we sang in the song, it's in the character of God to seek and to save the lost. God is like a shepherd, as we sang, who leaves the 99 in the pen, in the fold, and he goes to find the one who is lost. Scripture also paints God as the father who can't stop thinking about his rebellious son, his ungrateful son, even though he has another who's respectable and obedient. And he's a king who opens the doors of his home into his banquet halls for the outcast and the street people. That's the father that Jesus is pointing to. And so Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And so the blind man who he went and retrieved and found and brought back, I'm sure he's standing there now among the people. And so as they're sizing up Jesus 
and saying, some say it's a demon, he's, he's crazy, he's insane. The others are saying, look, right here, it's evidence. The man who was born blind is standing here with us. He's opened the eyes of the blind. Can a blind, can, can a demon do that? It, Jesus is special. There's something unique about him. So you have this divided city, Jerusalem. You have this divided people, the Jews, and mostly the religious leaders. It's not too much division there. They're pretty much set at this point, and this is going to really reach a climax in the next chapter or two. But the people know the words of Scripture. We talked about this back several chapters ago where Deuteronomy, where Moses spoke of a prophet who would come, who would be greater than him. And he used the singular, a prophet. He was specific. There is a prophet coming, and the Jews were looking for this prophet. And there was much speculation among the Jews whether John the Baptist was this person or not. And obviously we know that it couldn't have been John the Baptist. He was beheaded. But Jesus, is Jesus the one that Moses talked about? And, and Jesus gives a lot of indications. He may be this one Moses talked about because he's a lot like Moses. He, he used bread and meat to feed the people, just like Moses fed the people in the wilderness. Jesus did that. And the prophet that Jesus uh, had come to be was that he was doing these signs and wonders, which Moses did. And Moses had done these things, but not to the level that Jesus did it. And then back in chapter 7, we saw that Jesus gave this living water and talked about living water. And they know that Moses in the wilderness, he provided water through God's power for the people. And so the crowd remembers the miracles of Moses in, in, the, in the wilderness. And they see Jesus and they see the blind man here who's been healed. And they say, surely this guy, I mean, he's special. There's something amazing about this. He's unique. Whereas the others were saying, why listen to him? Why should, look at verse 20, why should you listen to him? And this is a revealing statement, even though it's a small little four words here. It's a revealing statement. Why? Because of the parable Jesus just concluded. He said that his sheep, those who were part of his fold, his sheep, they would be able to, verse 3, they would be able to hear his voice. And in verse 4, they would know his voice. And in verse 5, that they do not know the voice of a stranger. So the very fact that many of the Jews are just uninterested completely in the voice of Jesus declares that they neither hear him nor they know him and that he is just a stranger to them. And so you see Jesus is pointing out that this division because these people over here, they don't know him because they're not part of his fold. They're not part of his pasture. They're not one of his sheep. And so as we move forward, we'll talk more about that in a second. Verse 19, so there's division among the Jews. Now, between verse 19 and verse 20, we have two months that pass here, okay? We know that from what was going on in Jerusalem in the earlier verses and then what's going on now. Look at verse 22. At the time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so this feast of dedication was going on. You may not be familiar with it called that, but we refer to it today as Hanukkah. And that was the feast that was going on. Now, you won't find, as you look back through the Old Testament, it describes most of the festivals and feasts that the Jewish people celebrated. You won't find this one. This one took place during the intertestament period between Malachi and Matthew. And during this time, Israel was seized by the king of Syria, and he desecrated the temple and just uh, profaned the temple. And this was 200 years or so, a little less than 200 years before Christ came on the scene. And so Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, was a celebration of ridding the country of that king and that, that army, the Syrian army, 
and restoring the temple. And there's a long Jewish history into the lights and the candle, and it's a pretty neat story. I won't take the time to share it with you today. You can look it up. But in verse 30, 30, 23, Jesus is walking in this temple area, and this area, this colonnade of Solomon, was the most external area of the temple. And there were people there in the temple, of course, celebrating God, his faithfulness, who he is, how he provided for the people and the miracles that he did. And God himself walks into the temple and they're celebrating and worshiping God, yet God is right there literally among them and they don't recognize him. And so the Jews, what do they do? They see Jesus. He's an interesting figure. He's a controversial figure. And what do they do? They, verse 24, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. I don't know sometimes how I remember stuff that happened like when I was a little kid. My memory for the like long term is so much better than it was like what happened yesterday, the day before. But second grade, I, I clearly remember being on the playground and there was a kid in our school who had, uh, is an elementary school, went from kindergarten all the way up to probably sixth grade, I think, at that time. And this kid had five, probably at least five brothers in the school. I mean, there's a big family of kids. But the, the one kid that was my age, we were out on the playground, and I said something to him, and I don't remember if I was intentionally being mean, probably so, but I said something mean to him, and I can't remember what happened exactly next, but the next thing I knew, literally, all those brothers were gathered around me in a circle, okay? And one of them shoved me and pushed me to the ground. And I got up to, you know, to, to regain my composure and to walk away from them, and then another brother on the circle pushed me down. And this happened four or five times until I started crying. And finally, they released me and let me go, and they dispersed. But that's the picture. That's the word picture here when the Jews gathered around Jesus. It's the same thing that I was encountering there, that they encircled him. They gathered around him. And this was hostile. The wording is like ambush-like tactic, okay? And they gathered around Jesus and they demand, at this point, they're demanding clarification from him. They want to know, are you really the Christ or not? Are you the Messiah or not? Tell us plainly. Why are they asking, just say it plainly, Jesus. Why are they asking that? Well, we know that much of Jesus' sermons, particularly of late, he's used so many metaphors. He's used bread. He's used light. He's used doors. He's used being a shepherd to convey his message and reveal his identity and his purpose. But they're not getting it, all right? These metaphors, they want it just clear. Just say it, Jesus. Just say the words. I'm the Messiah. And they demand clarity. But look what Jesus responds in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So Jesus tells them that their assumption that he had not been clear in expressing his true identity is just wrong. It's just incorrect. And he says his communication skills here, his ability to communicate this truth, that's not the issue. You see, the issue is their hearts. Their hearts are hard. And they won't hear, no matter what Jesus says, even if he just said, I'm the Messiah, guys, at this point, they still wouldn't believe him. They would grab stones, as we'll see next week, and just to begin to stone him or try to stone him. Because they were hostile. They'd set in their minds. Their hearts were turned against God. And there was no hope for the majority of these people, these religious leaders particularly, because they had already determined, predetermined, no matter what Jesus had done, 
who he was. And Jesus had given them more than enough to provide for them the answer. Now, it could be true in one sense, it could be argued that Jesus never spoke directly and never said the words, I'm the Christ at this point. He's never said that. Luke 4, if you're going to fact check me um, on this, look for yourself at start in Luke 4. That's the closest Jesus comes. Matthew 16 also, he actually told his disciples who he was, but he actually tells them, don't tell anybody else at this point because it's not time. They're expecting a political leader, and they know that, that Jesus knows if he says, I'm the Messiah, they're going to try to place him as king, force him to be king, and he, that's not the kind of king. His mission is not to take a literal throne at this point. And so he doesn't, he tells his disciples, just don't say anything. Now, Jesus told a group of Jews in John 8, before Abraham, I am. All right, that was pretty clear, but he doesn't, again, just speak and say, I'm the Messiah. And in today's text, uh, or next week's text, he'll say, I and the Father are one. That's pretty close. And, but he doesn't straight out say, I'm the Messiah. During his trial with the high priest, he confirms it when he's asked, are you the king of the Jews? But he doesn't say it himself. John 4, he claims the title of, as Messiah as the woman at the well in a one-on-one conversation at this point, ask him. He, he says, you're right. But he, again, doesn't say it. They want to just hear him say it plainly and clearly. But he says, everything I've done and said at this point is rooted in my identity as the Son of Man, the unique Son of God and the Son of Man. And so Jesus, he so strongly connects what he said about himself and what he does in verse 25. Look, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So what Jesus has said over and over again, again, in the hardness of their heart, they just won't see it. There's no chance for it. But he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. He and the Father are one. They're in perfect harmony with one another. So everything that God does, Jesus does. And so what he says for Jesus to do, Jesus does. Why are they not recognizing it? Because they don't know God. And we'll see, again, more of this conversation and this uh, conflict escalate next week on this. But Jesus says he works in perfect harmony with his heavenly Father. And if they truly knew the God they claimed to know and worship, his identity would be confirmed in their hearts. But they were deaf to Jesus because they were deaf to God. And so Jesus repeats the charge that he leveled against them last week. Look at verse 26 and 27. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You see, this is, again, it's not an intellectual issue. Additional studies won't clear things up. They just weren't among Jesus' sheep. And that's why they couldn't hear his voice. The picture here is a shepherd calling out his sheep by name. And he's calling them and they come running to him. Those sheep that don't belong to him, they don't respond to him. They're not moved at all. Back again, when I was a kid, my dad will remember this. Uh, he had a, a whistle that he did. He, it, amazing how loud he can whistle. Like He had variations of different loud whistles. And we could be with a bunch of kids around church, and he could be around the other side of the building, but he would let that whistle out and let that whistle go. And me and my brothers, we would turn, and we would start moving fast, if not sprinting, toward my dad because we knew he was ready for us, and we better get there because that was his signal to tell us. He was calling for us. But the funny thing is, the kids around us, even though the whistle was loud, it was clear to us, and we could hear it completely, our friends never acknowledged it. They were, never said, what's that whistle? They, you know, they didn't do that because they were deaf to it. 
Even though it was there, they were deaf to it because it wasn't their signal. It wasn't their dad. It wasn't their call. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here with sheep and a shepherd. He's saying, you're not part of me. You're not in my fold, so you're not hearing my voice. And you're not hearing it, even though it's loud and clear. And if you wanted to respond, you could respond to it, but you're not one of my, my sheep. And so you're not responding. And so, therefore, you don't follow after me. So look, see it, see it again. Verse 27, my sheep, what do they do? They hear my voice. And he says, I know them. And what do they do in response? They follow me. They come after me. So life looks different to the people who are following Jesus, the shepherd, and those, the life of those who aren't following the shepherd. It's very easy to identify who's following and who's not following. The ones that are becoming more and more like Jesus in their life, they're the followers. And the ones who are oblivious to Jesus, who aren't responding to Jesus, don't even hear Jesus, they're not following, they're not his sheep. And so the, the question is, how does our lives look different than the people around us, honestly, in real and practical ways? Because we're following Jesus and they're not following Jesus. How does our life look different? I heard a preacher share this story once. He said, imagine if today, after the band finished their, their songs, and you heard the little jingle for the message up there, and you knew it was time for me to come up and preach, Roy grabs my podium and carries it up here for me, but there's no John that shows up up here. And it's just like a few minutes of awkward silence, and finally one of the elders comes up and says, you know, John's scheduled to preach today. He's supposed to be here to preach. We don't know where he's at. But just then the door opens, I bust through, I jog up here, I run up here to the front, and I'm saying, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry, guys, I'm, I'm late I'm so sorry. You'll never believe what happened to me this morning. I was driving here. I was on the bypass. And I got a flat tire. And so I, I got out to change the flat. And I wasn't paying really close attention right there on the edge of the road. And I, and I accidentally stepped out right in front of a semi-truck. And it hit me head on. Just straight on, head on. And it hurt. It hurt. But I got up, finished my tire, and I drove here. And again, sorry I'm late, you know. Sorry I didn't get here on time. You'd be like, that dude is like lying or insane, crazy. He's, he's just, something's wrong there, right? We're going to know if you got hit by a Mack truck, right? We're going to know if you got smashed head on. I think you know where I'm going. When we encounter Jesus... Something's different. Something looks different. It begins to change. Our lives begin to change. I went through Scripture and just looked at the realities of salvation, which are equivalent to a 50,000-pound semi hitting you right in the face. Here's what the Scripture says. We were moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light when we came to Christ. All right? That's big. But here's bigger. Christ is now in us, and you're in Christ. Christ moved into you in some way, mysteriously. Christ moved into your life, and you moved into Christ. You received the spirit of adoption. You were brought into his family. 
you were crucified with Christ at salvation, and you were raised with Christ, as we picture in baptism. Think about your baptism. You were born with the Spirit. You were baptized with the Spirit. You were sealed with the Spirit. Whoa! You just got hit in the face with salvation at full speed. Jesus just hit you. And you can get up and nothing's different, right? There's no change. You just keep living the way you've always lived and doing the things you've always done and conducting life. And yeah, I go to church now on Sunday. How could that be? Something changes because my sheep, they hear my voice. There's Jesus calling me. I'm responding to it. He knows me. He's called me. He's chosen me. And what do I do? I follow the shepherd. I follow him. I want to know the shepherd, the one who seeks after me and found me. I have a relationship with him where I want to know more of him. And so I sacrifice time to be with him. I sacrifice resources to advance his kingdom and advance his cause. That's the things that the scripture talks about when it comes to following Jesus, what that means and what that looks like. Everything begins to change. You begin to act differently. You really, truly are a changed person. And then verse 28, not only changed for this lifetime, he says changed for eternity. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. He gives us eternal life that will, and that will never perish. You know, when we sang the song, The Reckless Love of God, maybe you're sitting there like, I don't understand how God's love is reckless, right? That doesn't make sense to me. But as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about this message and just connecting it, it's, it's amazing. God's love doesn't make sense. You see, because the, to us, the people that he chose, you may think, well, I'm just too bad or too awful to come to Jesus. i got to get my life cleaned up. A lot of people say that before I come to Jesus. But here's the thing. If, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, if right now you're kind of in that situation and the Spirit is drawing you to salvation, and you're thinking, but I, I didn't do anything to deserve that or earn that. I'm, I'm like way bad, all right? I'm terrible. But the love of Christ is meeting you, and you feel this, com- this compulsion to respond to the gospel and put your faith in Jesus at this point, his love is meeting you, and that's a reckless love because you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And so you see, it's not just for the select few or the group who seem to have it together and seem to appear, appear to be pretty holy. It's for those that God desires to be part of his fold, part of his kingdom. And, and that's good news. That's hope for those who are, think they, they're undeserving and they're, they're not worthy because this love came for you that doesn't make sense. It's a reckless love from our standpoint because love in this earth for us only comes from people, I love that person because they do this for me and then they love me back because I do that for them. All right, God doesn't work that way. His love doesn't work that way. He comes for you when you have nothing to offer. You're desperate, broken, dead in your sins and trespasses, Scripture says, and he came for you. So from that angle, it is a reckless love from our point of view. And he says, I give them eternal life. My sheep, I give to you eternal life, and, and they will never perish. And I love what F.F. Bruce writes on this. He says, physical life may be destroyed, but those who are united by faith to the Son of God, those who belong to the flock of the true shepherd, 
can never lose real life, for he keeps it secure. And again, as Jeremy pointed out in the, in the singing time, bad things happen. Rough times come. It doesn't mean because you have faith that you're isolated and insulated from all the bad things of this world. But you have this hope in Christ that is built on this firm foundation, and you know that nothing can take it away from you, and no one can snatch it out of his hands. Jesus says, my sheep are secure. And look what he says. He says, look at, look at the verse again. No one will snatch them out of my hand. All right, If you've got a red letter edition of the Bible, that's Jesus talking. Right? Jesus says, you can't take them out of my hand. I, I was reminding Michelle this uh, yesterday. We were walking somewhere. And I was like, remember when the kids were little and you were on one side and I was on the other and we would grab their hands and we would swing them back and forth. You guys that have young kids, maybe you do that. And we, they were so secure, one hand on one side, one on the other, mom and dad, and we're here, this child's together. Look what Jesus says. I love this picture. Look at verse 29. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and he and no one is able to snatch them out of the, whose hand? The Father's hand. So you got Jesus on one side holding your hand, and you got the Father on the other side holding your hand, and he says, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. My true sheep who knew my voice, who I know, and they respond and they follow, nothing can take you away from me. You're eternally safe and secure for all eternity. And so no matter what comes at you from this life, no matter how much bad and, and, and difficult and tough things, no, have that picture in your mind. You got the Father on one side holding on to you. You got Jesus on the other side holding on to you, and nobody can take you away from them. And that's great news. That's great news. It's great news on the day you say, I do, and it's a great day on the, on, news on the day that you sign your divorce papers. It's great news on the day that your child is born, and it's great news on the day a child is taken away from you. It's great news because nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's amazing news. We need that news. And some of you, you're beat down. You're tired. You're fighting. And, and Jesus says, relax, we got you. We got you. But but I never thought my life would be here. We got you. We got you. He'll never give up on you if you're his child. If you're his sheep, he doesn't quit on you. His protection is there. I had a little more, but I just, I just want to end it right here. I think we need to remember this truth that eternal life is a gift that is invincible. It cannot be destroyed or taken away. That's really good news, isn't it? But the reality is, let's, let's be real. My sheep hear my voice, they follow. And you're saying, I don't hear Jesus' voice. And I'm not following. That's not good news for you. Because eternal life is a gift and is invincible and it can't be taken away or destroyed and it lasts forever and ever and ever. And if you reject Jesus, you reject him forever and ever and ever and you're eternally separated from him. 
So for his sheep, that's great news. And so here's, here's the plea to you. Listen, the plea is this. No matter who you are, if you hear the Holy Spirit just compelling and pulling at your heart and, he, and you feel just his tug toward salvation, respond, today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't say maybe later or another time. And then for believers, find rest in the protection of God. And I, I, and I put in the heart application, just pray to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. The words of David, Psalm 139, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Just allow your life to be under the microscope of God's word. And allow him to show you those areas of hypocrisy where you're not representing him very well. And the one area, because of the K-groups you're going to follow along, just need to point out, I was going to, to, the last part was going to be on this idea of just forgiveness. Because that's the thing I see in the church a lot among people in relationships, is just an, an unwillingness to forgive others. And I, I think if there's any indication of those who are following Jesus and those who are different in the world, it's just this, this ability to choose forgiveness, even if you don't feel forgiveness. To choose to forgive those who have hurt you and wronged you, and, and said and done things against you. And there's nothing, that, and, and, and I could have walked you through this, and I'll send it out on the Monday email tomorrow, these, this passage of Scripture, where Satan uses this in the church, unforgiveness, which turns to bitterness, that causes division, that Satan uses that as a scheme to just bring the church down and destroy relationships. And we don't represent Jesus very well when a person from this side of the auditorium won't speak to that side, and the person here avoids this person. That doesn't work very well in a church community who we're here to help each other know and follow Jesus. So I want to encourage you, the application for the hands is, are you better toward anyone? Choose to forgive that person, even though they don't deserve it. Let them off the hook. Just forgive them. Don't waste any more good years of ministry. Don't let your heart be hardened by that. But just let that go. Jesus is our good shepherd. Are you following him? Are you listening to his voice? Do you hear his voice? If you do, that's great news. Keep following. Keep going. You don't know his voice. Please talk to him today. Put your faith in Jesus and the finished work on the cross. He'll give you life, he said. His words, an abundant life. And you can't be snatched out of his hand. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. It's amazing as we just ask the Spirit just to just bring it alive in our lives, just how you can take your words and make them real and true. And God, I thank you for just the fact that you give us such purpose in this life. There's no reason to feel like we're here by accident or that our lives are meaningless because you've given us such a great purpose to represent you, God, the God who spoke and the universe was created, that we represent you. And you have us by our hand, and Jesus has our other hand. And we can walk with confidence and courage and represent you well because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray.